We are on Ksubas Nun Gimel Omer Aleph 53a, about uh, 10 lines from the bottom or so. Uh, the Gemara now will discuss a few uh, different cases, different situations that have to do with the Ksuba, different uh, obligations that the husband has towards his wife, and we'll also see towards his daughter. Um, so let's see uh, two or three different cases. So says the Gemara. Yosef Rabin Bar Chanina Kamedir of Chista, Yosef Akamer Mishmedir of Elazar. So Rabin, the son of Chanina, is sitting in front of Rav Chista, and he says, "I heard the following from Rabbi Elazar: Mochelas Ksubasa Labayla Ein Lamizonos." Essentially, we mentioned in the last class that there's a concept of uh, the isha, the wife, being mocheles, forgoing the payment of the ksuba that uh, she could say, tell her husband. That uh, I don't want to get paid. I don't need to get paid if there's uh, the ma- marriage ends, whether it's uh, the husband passing away or them getting divorced. She's uh, being mochelas. She's forgoing the rights to the ksuba. Now, there's different aspects to the ksuba. So the basic idea is that she doesn't receive the 200 or the 100 after the marriage ends. But if she's, what about if she's mochelas the ksuba? She uh, forgoes all the rights to the ksuba. Does that include also? The mizonos. Does that include the uh, the requirement that the husband has to provide sustenance to his wife, even after uh, he passes away? He has to provide sustenance to his wife. So, uh, is that included in it or not? So says the Gemara. Rabbi Lazar says that yes, she's forgoing that as well. She's basically saying. I don't need anything from you. I don't need the two hundred, uh, the two hundred from you, and I also don't need you after you pass away to uh, provide sustenance for me. I don't need anything from you. Uh, to that, the Gemara then says, "Amar Le Rav Chista." He's hearing all this from Rabbi Lazar, and he says, If you didn't tell this to me in the name of uh, such a great rabbi of Rabbi Lazar, if I didn't hear you say this in the name of such a great rabbi, I would have told you that how could this be? She's doing something good, uh, or at least uh, she's being very nice and saying you don't have to pay me the two hundred. We're going to go so far and make it even worse for her. She's uh, she's she's giving in. She's giving up on, on the ksuba. Uh, why would we make it worse for her to say not only do you not get the ksuba, but also he doesn't have to provide for your food? We wouldn't say such a thing. So if it wasn't for Rabbi Lazar, um, says Rav Chista, I would have disagreed. But Rabbi Lazar said it. Um, and in fact, we, we follow the position of Rebbe Lazar. In the end of the day, the law is, like Rebbe Lazar, to say that she's also forgoing the Mizonos. Okay, that is one case. That's case number one. Case number two. Case number two has to do with the, the stage where uh, they are engaged, a halachic engagement. Today, this is really not so relevant because uh, there's very little time in between the engagement and uh, the marriage. It's uh, you know, a few minutes apart. But in the days of the Gemara, it was a year apart. So what is there an obligation, essentially, to... Uh, when If they get married, so then the husband has an obligation to bury his wife. He has an obligation to bury his wife. Uh, what about if they're only engaged? If they're only engaged, is there an obligation to bury uh, his wife or not? Um, we've had, uh, a few weeks ago, we've had on Memzayin and Mabez, 47B, uh, we mentioned how uh, that... Uh, the husband has an obligation to bury his wife 
And sort of the Rabbanon, the rabbis said that in uh, exchange for that, uh, he is able to inherit the Nidunya, the gifts that the father gives to his daughter. Uh, when they enter into the marriage, he's able to inherit that after she passes away. Um, so says the Gemara, well, the question becomes, well, that might, that, that might only kick in once they're actually married, fully married, living together. If they're only engaged, they're not even living together, so maybe there is no such obligation. So it says the Gemara, There are a lot of rabbis that are sitting around together, and somebody comes, A person comes and says that his wife, who, not their wife after being married, but wife of, uh, during the engagement period, uh, passed away. And Amrile, they said, tell him, Zil cover They basically tell him, uh, go bury her. They tell him to go bury her. Um, or, uh, if you don't bury her, so then return the Ksuba. Uh, return the Ksuba. You shouldn't really uh, inherit the Ksuba as a result of that, but go bury her. That's basically what they say. So Amaluhu Ravchia says, responds and says, this goes against uh, Abraisa, Tanina, Ishtu Arusa If a person, if they're engaged, they're only engaged, they're not married. So if the wife passes away, so then he does not have the status of being an Onin. They're not viewed as related to the point where he has the status of being an Onin. An Onin is somebody who during the time period be- between the death and the burial, he has the status of an Onin. To the point where, on a biblical level, this has uh, on a rabbinic level has many ramifications. On a biblical level, he's not allowed to eat if he's a kohen. He's not allowed to eat kachim. He's not allowed to eat the meat from a sacrifice during this stage. But that doesn't apply if they're only engaged. And also, um, a kohen in general is not allowed to become impure. Cannot come in contact with a dead body. The exception is if it, he has an obligation to bury them, such as an example is close relatives including his wife. But it's not with regards to his wife where they are only engaged, where they never lived with each other and were never fully married. So he's not allowed to even go to uh, be involved in the burial. He's not allowed to do that because he's a Kohen. He can't become impure. Similarly, she, she uh, does not become an Onenes. She, if uh, the husband passes away while they are engaged, she does not um, become forbidden to eating the meat from sacrifices. And then it also says that she also cannot become Tame. She cannot come in contact with uh, her husband after he passes away. The question is why though? This is a big question. Why? Uh, we know that uh, the prohibition for Kohanim, when it comes to Kohen, that they can't come in contact with a dead body, that only applies to male Kohanim. It doesn't apply to female Kohanim. So why can't she go? The truth is she could go. Uh, she could go. There isn't a prohibition per se, but... Uh, we basically say that it's not it's not a, a mitzvah to go. If she wants to go, she could go, but she doesn't have to get involved in the actual burial. She's not obligated to go. That's the point of uh, of this uh, brisa. Okay. Mesa inyorsha mesu govik subasa. If she dies, the husband does not inherit. The, the laws of Yerusha do not kick in of inheritance of inheriting from his wife. Do not kick in during engagement. And if he dies first, however, so then she does collect. The Ksuba, because they write the Ksuba already from the time of engagement, so she would in fact collect the Ksuba, even though he doesn't receive the Yerusha, the inheritance. Um, it's only if he dies. If she dies, so then there is no Ksuba. 
There is no ksuba, meaning there is no obligation to bury her. That's the key point. We see from here, there is no obligation to bury her. My time on the point is that if she dies while they're engaged, there is no obligation to bury. No obligation to bury. The um, obligation only kicks in once they are uh, fully married. Only once they're fully married. Okay, that's what that's what Rav Chista, uh, Rav Chia, sorry, wanted to bring from uh, from this case. And similarly, the Gemara then continues and says, "Ki Rabin says similarly that if they're only engaged, she doesn't receive the ksuba. She doesn't uh, receive all of this." Amar Luha Abaye says, "Zilu Amrile Shakila Tivusech Shadi Achizari Kvartirimar Rav Hoshaya Lishmaisei Abaye says back, "Why are they saying this uh, in their own name?" This idea that if she's in Arusa, she's only uh, halachically engaged, they're not fully married, that there is no ksuba. Why are they saying this? This is something which already has been mentioned by others. Roshaya in Bavel, uh, this is already mentioned by others, and that uh, they, they shouldn't be ma- saying this in their own name. This is already something which is well known. This is a concept which is already already well known. Okay, that is case number two. Essentially, we've been discussing um, one situation about what happens if she forgoes the ksuba. Does she also forego? The obligation that the fa- the husband has to uh, to provide food for her, um, and we said basically that uh, she is she's foregoing that as well. Then the second case that we had was what happens if they are only halachically engaged. So then, does the husband have an obligation to bury her? And we saw from a brisa, uh, some said that he does have an obligation to bury her. Others said that uh, we saw from the brisa that there is no obligation to bury her if they are only engaged. Now the Gemara. We are now on the top of Nungimol Mabez, 53b, on the second line. The Gemara now shifts to the next part of the Mishnah. The next discussion of the Mishnah was Ksubas Banan Nokvan. The obligation of the Ksuba that um, a husband writes uh, that he will, after he passes away, so even though the Yerusha, the estate, is given to the sons, to his sons, but they have to continue to uh, provide sustenance for the daughter. They have an obligation to provide sustenance for the daughter. The daughter, they don't receive the Yerusha, the inheritance, but they have to provide sustenance for the daughter. The question is, until what point in time is there an obligation to provide sustenance for the daughter? So before we get into the Gemara, a very quick introduction is that uh, basically, it's until the point in time where she's being supported by somebody else. That's the basic rule. Now, when is she being supported by somebody else? So, we will see if she gets married, if she's fully married, so then her husband has an obligation to uh, to support her. Uh, the obligation for the husband to support her uh, to with sustenance, that, that only kicks in when they are fully married. Not during the engagement period, but when they're fully married. Okay. Now, another point in time where she's uh, able to provide for herself is, let's say she reaches the age, which the Gemara refers to as 12 and a half, but as we've discussed many times, what that means, Bulgaris, what that really means nowadays, if we were to sort of apply that to nowadays, it would mean the normal time that she gets a job, whenever that normal time is, depending on the society and the times uh, that it's normal for her to get a job. So then they have to continue to provide sustenance for her until she gets a job. Why? Because once she gets a job, so then she can support herself. So either she's being supported by her husband or she's able to support herself. But until then, uh, the brothers, in fact, do have an obligation to support her. The question that the Gemara will ask is, what happens when we have a sort of in-between situation where she's not fully married, but she's only engaged. She has a halachic engagement. Okay? 
So she has a halachic engagement. Uh, so at this point in time, she's not being supported by her husband. So we'll see. At least uh, the way Rashi understands this is that there's no obligation upon the husband to support uh, his wife when they are engaged. Uh, but we'll see that maybe he has compassion towards her. And if he has compassion towards her to the point where he will support her, he'll go above and beyond, let's say, the normal rules. So then maybe at that point in time, the brothers now could uh, no longer be obligated. And it's because the husband essentially took over this this uh, role. But there will always be a time. The point is there will always be a time where she's being supported and uh, provided with uh, food. Uh, the question is just at what point in time? Is it when they're married, when she gets married? Is it when uh, she is able to support herself by working? Or is it when she's halakhically engaged? So let's see this inside. Rav Tani Rav says that the way he understood it, uh, the, the version that he had, was that until she gets married. Levi has the version that it's until she becomes 12 and a half, uh, which I, in modern day means uh, whenever she's able to the normal time to go work, the normal age to work. So the says, I don't understand. Both should apply, whichever one comes first. I understand. According to Rav, if she turns 12 and a half, she should be able, they, they shouldn't have to support him. And according to Levi, if... Um, if she gets married, also the brother shouldn't have to support. Ella, Begar, Velo Intiv, Intiv, Velo Bagar, Everybody agrees. If she gets married, fully married, or if she turns 12 and a half and she's of age where she's able to get her own job, she's able to work, so then everybody agrees the brothers no longer have to support her. Kipligi Barusa, Velo Bagar. What they agree upon is, let's say she was engaged, a halachic engagement, before the age of 12 and a half. Okay, before the age of twelve and a half, Levi also taught uh, that it's either or, essentially, either where she gets married or where she is uh, twelve and a half. Says the This seems to be a dispute amongst the Tanaim, amongst the rabbis from the time period of the Mishnah about the situation when. She is halakhically engaged. Who supports her? And we'll, we'll explain the reasons with regards to the engagement, why you would say one way versus the other versus the other in a minute. Until when is the daughter being supported by the brothers? Uh, either until she has a halakhic engagement, which is clearly implies that once she has that halakhic engagement, the brothers no longer have to provide a sustenance for her. It's when she turns 12 and a half. The Tani Rav Yosef Ad Dehavyan. Rav Yosef says, until they're married. Well, what type of marriage? The Gemara doesn't know. Ibailu. When we say she's she's married or, or connected, which one are we talking about? Are we talking about engagement? Talach engagement? Or are we talking about actual marriage? The Gemara doesn't know. The Gemara answers Teku. The Gemara doesn't know. Okay. So, in the end of the day, just to, to review, once she reaches the point where she's able to, to have, have money to provide for food, whether that's complete marriage, or whether that's she's of age where she's able to go work, the brothers no longer have to support her. However, the big question is, what happens when she's in Arusa? Let's say she's under the age of 12 and a half, and she has an, a halakhic engagement. So then, do we say the brothers are obligated to continue to support her? Or are they not obligated? Now, during a regular engagement, let's say where the, where the father's still alive, there's certainly the father has to support her. There's absolutely no obligation whatsoever placed upon the uh, husband when they're engaged. Uh, the question is, do things change now that uh, she's a Yasoma, she's an orphan, her, her father passed away, 
And so therefore, who is who will be the one responsible to um, uh, to provide for her? So says the Gemara, Amalei Rav Chisla Rav Yosef. Rav Chisla said to Rav Yosef, Mishmiel Chaminei Rav Yehuda, Arusa Yishem Mazonos, Ein Lamazonos. We'll be explaining the Gemara according to Rashi. Other uh, Rishonim, other commentators have different explanations of the Gemara, but it's essentially the same question. They asked, have you heard from Rav Yehuda? When she is, reaches, she's, she's a Yisoma, she's an orphan, and she's halakhically engaged, does she receive from the brothers um, Mizonos? Does she receive uh, mo- the money to provide for sustenance? So, Amrlei, Mashma Lushmiyali, El Misfara, Leslot, Kevan, Deirsa, Lonichlei, According to this version, we'll see an op- um, the exact opposite version, but according to this version, he responds back. Rav Yosef responds back to Rav Chizda that, I don't know what Rav Yehuda said. You're asking me what Rav Yehuda said? I don't know. I, I, I never heard him talk about this. However, if you're asking me the way I feel and, and uh, the logical thinking that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, thinking about is that once she's engaged to so them, the husband would not want her to go begging door to door. And therefore, the husband will provide for her. In a regular case where the father's alive, he wouldn't provide for her. But in this case, where the husband passed, where the father, sorry, where the father's alive, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't pay for it. But once the father passed away, so then he feels bad, he doesn't want her to start going door to door to start begging. And so therefore, the husband will pay for it, and therefore the brothers are exempt. Now, he responds back, Rav Chisra responds back, I'm late. He responds back by saying, No, what are you talking about? The husband would never provide while they're engaged, provide the sustenance. Uh, why would he ever do that? He doesn't know. He would never just throw money away without knowing whether this is... They're not fully married. They're not living together. Uh, they're not experiencing that. He wouldn't throw money away not knowing whether or not they're actually going to stay married. Uh, maybe he'll find some sort of uh, mum, some sort of blemish within her, and they'll have to get divorced. So he's not going to throw away money until they're actually fully married. Now, the Gemara has another version, which is really the exact opposite. The back and forth, the same back and forth, but in the exact opposite, with one rabbi making one claim, another the other rabbi making the other claim, but it's really the same the same concept. Ikadamri. There's another version. Amar Le Rav Yosef says back, Isla came to Yosef says that I, I don't know what Rav Yehuda said, and I, I never spoke to him about it. But if you were to ask me, I would think that uh, the the brothers do have to pay because uh, the husband wouldn't just uh, give money for nothing because uh, who knows whether this is going to last or not maybe he'll find a blemish and Rav Chista says back and so um, he responds back by saying that no if you didn't hear from anybody I would have said the opposite I would have said that the husband would pay because he wants to make sure he doesn't want his wife even though they're only engaged but he wouldn't want her to go door to door and therefore he would provide for her so in the end day with regards to this third case this third case is talking about until what point in time do the brothers, with the, through the estate of the father, have to support their sister uh, so that she has food on the table? So everybody agrees that if she already reaches the age where uh, she's able to work or she's fully married, that the brothers are exempt. Uh, however, the big question is, what happens if she's only halakhically engaged? If she's only halakhically engaged, uh, so then there's a machlokas. There's an argument about whether or not uh, the, it's the brother's responsibility or do we say that, no, the husband went above and beyond and is is offering and willing uh, to take on that responsibility. Okay, that concludes the Gemara in this class. We are in the middle of the Gimel Bays and we'll conclude 53b in the next class.